from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. It's the Tiny House Podcast, and I'm Perry. I'm MJ. And this is Mark. <clears throat> Boy, our last episode. <laughs> <laughs> that one was all over the map. It was. Yeah. It was. It's like steering a bus with no steering. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's funny because it was, you know, we, we, our epicenter is tiny houses, but we went all around that bullseye. Mm. We were out in the 7, the 10, 11 ring. <laughs> well, that, I, I will call that episode thinking way outside the box. <laughs> yeah, way, way outside way, the tiny way, house way box. Way yeah, that's for sure. Box. Yeah, but it's interesting. The uh, actually the the show we did before the one we just did was talking a lot about land use planning and zoning mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff and how that poor guy is going to make his business fly in an environment that's so seemingly let's just say conservative. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean politically conservative. I mean ideologically conservative. Right. I mean, in some sense, in some ways, ideologically conservative by nature of the inertia of land use make, land use policy. Yeah. Oregon's having, <clears throat> Oregon's having their own. He talked a lot about... Colorado. Colorado, yeah. he mm-hmm. talked about. Oregon is actually having their own real challenges. It feels like two steps forward, one step back. Um and the the tiny house builders, the the RVIA certified tiny house builders, those that build tiny houses on wheels, um, <clears throat> we've recently got some information um, regarding the state of Oregon, basically making them uh, or in, implying, anyways, that they can't be in business anymore. So yeah. we have a lot of a lot of challenges ahead of us in regard to zoning and coding and building codes and who's on first. Well, basically. And, well, hopefully, hopefully our guest is on first because. <laughs> We have him on the show. He's on next. That's exactly. For sure. He's definitely on next. <laughs> Do we, exactly. we have a guest? Yay! <laughs> well, yeah, he's uh, he's a, apparently a consultant in this area, and so um, let's go ahead and introduce him. We've got David Wade from Right Fit Housing, um, and he's out of this town called Eugene, Oregon, uh, here in in our great state, and he's going to talk with us about a plethora of issues related to. Um, political advocacy as it regards to housing. So welcome to the show, David. Uh, thank you so much for uh, having me on. It's um, it, it, exciting to get to talk about uh, this, uh, this this stuff that, that uh, I, I was um, afraid most of the world thought was pretty pretty wonky and, and boring, but um, I can see from from your your podcast and the folks you've talked to that um, you've uh, you're, you're finding a way to get the word out in, in a way more ex- exciting format. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I can say a little bit about myself. I, I'm uh, an accessory dwelling unit consultant, and I'm mostly uh, focusing on on Lane County. So I'm helping the folks here. Uh, understand what an ADU or backyard house can can do for them and their family, and then making sense of um, if there's financial return there, and then if we're seeing that um, how land use uh, will uh, impact what they can build and um, normally what they can't build, and uh, a few tricks on how to get around that that stuff and. 
um, as a part of my work, I've also um, been really pulled into the, the advocacy uh, side of this because, as you were saying, there's definitely a lot to do with improving land use um, and building codes. So I know a bit bit more about building, I mean, uh, land use than building code. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to share with you uh, what we're doing down here in Eugene. Um, I'm wondering if you have any questions for me. Well, of course, we're a shoot, we're an interview show. <laughs> if the answer was no, we're all screwed. Exactly. <laughs> so I do you maybe you'd heard about us from other people. Yeah. <laughs> do you have do you have um I want to start by asking do you have any knowledge or awareness of what's going on both in the broader context of the state and in the country relative to land use and planning and such? I have a decent understanding of the state of Oregon and a little bit of uh, California and Washington, but outside of those three states, um, I know that there's a number of towns uh, throughout the country that have um, made a lot of progress and created a specific land use code for tiny homes and tiny home villages, uh, but I'm not and experts on, on the particulars of, um, of, of that code. That's okay. Uh, and, and you are, yeah. you are, it sounds like you are f- at least familiar with tiny houses. Yeah. Oh yes, definitely. I'm uh, a part of a group here in Eugene called, um, tiny houses, tiny house villages. And that, that's really where I got my start with the advocacy side of it. Uh, and, uh, so, yeah, but I, I definitely know more about the accessory dwelling units. Okay, so it seems like the the big thing that's that's tripping up greater potentially greater adoption of tiny houses in the country is the land is the land use and the zoning the ability Absolutely. the ability of people to figure out where they're going to put this these things and live in them. Where where do you see based in your in your town the direction of land use planners? with regard to appreciating what's available with tiny houses? What are their biggest barriers? In my opinion, the biggest barriers is, is the public, not so much are the technicians, the, the planners, um, who would be in charge of, of writing the code. Uh, from my experience, uh, they're, um, they're interested in creating more housing. I'm talking about the planners here. And they, they see that as a way of, um, or what they want to do is allow for more housing types. Um, and in that way, open the door for the market to naturally provide um, housing, whether it's, it's space for tiny homes or accessory dwelling units or cottage cluster developments up through all the, all the plexes um, and smaller apartments. Um, that so so they're they're for the most part um, on board. A, a great example is um, the uh, city of Springfield, um, the, which is um, Eugene's sister city. is right next door. Um, a lot of folks that they drive through here would probably mistake uh, Springfield for for a part of Eugene. They're actually two separate cities. So Springfield's moving forward with. Um, pretty aggressive, uh, progressive code for accessory dwelling units. Um, 
removing things like the owner occupancy uh, requirement and on-site parking, which uh, can really uh, re- make make the process far far simpler. And uh, there, uh, the city's um, city council and planning staff worked really well together. Um, to bring that initiative forward and then work with the public to get buy-in. Um, and they'll should soon be uh, adopting the, the code that they've written. Uh, so that's pretty exciting. Here in Eugene, uh, there's definitely, there's a lot of, there's a lot of support, but a few maybe key citizens um, that, uh, that, um, sort of re- represent folks in neighborhoods who are afraid of affecting their their land values or perhaps having issues or like losing the the views that are available from their yard. There's a lot of concern about solar access, um, and and so that's really where um, the work needs to be done is uh, working with with uh, property owners here in Eugene to, um, to, to get the, get buy-in so that they'll allow more housing types to be built around their properties. So what we're talking about, um, we've, we've referred to them before in the tiny house podcast as NIMBYs. And in other words, not in my backyards. It's interesting to hear you categorize that the NIMBYs are causing more problems than the planners. We've heard a lot of stories where the opposite was true. Um, you must have a very vocal or active NIMBY group or, um, you know, I, again, the planners sort of their mantra is to provide housing. Can you explain that dynamic in your particular area of the country or your particular town? Uh, you've explained a couple of things that they're concerned about, but again, I think this is pretty unusual. That, Highly unusual. For yeah, us. yeah, yeah, really unusual that the that your your planners are like, "Yep, let's do this," and the neighborhood is like, "Nope, let's not think about it." Oh, okay. I was under the impression that that was the way things were. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I have a little bit of issue with with the word NIMBY because I don't want to uh, to use um, I don't want to burn bridges, <laughs> so to speak. Um, I get to, but not you don't I, have I, to. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll let you use that. It's not 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 how I want to uh, re- refer to my neighbors, fellow citizens here in Eugene. <laughs> yeah, neighbors. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example of uh, a gentleman who uh, really doesn't, he's, he's not in two apartment complexes. Um, and, and, uh, uh, but he does like, um, tiny homes and accessory dwelling units. Um, and, uh, and, and so I'm, uh, you know, pretty happy to, to work with him, um, on, uh, on accessory dwelling units and, and tiny homes. And then, uh, you know, when when the conversation comes up about uh, apartments and, and what they offer, you know, hopefully we'll be in a good place to be able to discuss that, too. Um, his name is uh, Ralph McDonald, and he's a sustainability commissioner. And, um, yeah, he, he's a great guy. So uh, he actually spearheaded our sustainability commission's 
effort um, to uh, to request that the city council make it easier to build accessory dwelling units. Um, I should add, um, you know, you're speaking about um, planners being an issue, and and you may that may be the case when it comes to tiny homes on wheels. That um, it, it's uh, I, I could see um, our planning staff being hesitant to uh, to work on that issue when when we've been uh, r- really struggling with accessory dwelling units for. Um, for the last uh, three, well, I should say, you could say five years, um, I, I can go into uh, the history of that. We actually used to have um, more per- permissive rules for accessory dwelling units. And um, we, we were, in, in 2012 and 13, uh, the planning staff was moving towards making, making it even easier to build accessory dwelling units, they they saw the housing crisis um, just as well as they do now, and and were doing what they could to uh, it, increase the options for um, the, this backyard housing. And um, we had uh, a, a group of citizens sort of commandeer um, the process. I think that's the right word, commandeer, take over. Take over, yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they, um, they really flipped this whole thing on its head and were able to um, convince city council to make more restrictive rules. So, for example, um, the rules uh, went from a minimum lot size of 4,500 square feet to 6,100 square feet, and planning staff did the calculation informed city council that uh, by doing so with that one particular change uh, 5,000 properties lost their ability to provide accessory dwelling units. Wow. Hmm. But the only reason city council agreed to that is because um, of citizens. Uh, Yeah, there's a spearhead group of folks um, who for some reason were particularly um, offended or afraid of accessory dwelling units, um, and but with without um, sort of wider agreement, I don't think they they would have gotten anywhere. So, but let wait a minute. Let's back up a minute. So, what we're talking about um, for our listeners, what we're talking about is accessory dwelling units. The definition of which is means that there is a piece of property which al- already has a primary residence on it. Um, towns are cities and towns are legally required to have what's called an ADU code or an ADU um, available for certain size cities and towns. So that it seems that hurdle. Um, has already been cleared, maybe not, again, for as many people as, as they would like. Then the second hurdle would be um, the minimum square foot definition. Um, in my town, for instance, in Sherwood, the definition is is that the ADU cannot be any larger than... Um, um, excuse me, cannot be, yeah, cannot be any larger than 40% of the main house. So they, that's what they define. But recently, mm-hmm. the state of Oregon actually passed what's called House Bill 2737, which actually allows for building codes for homes that are under 600 square feet. That was a change. 
So yeah. it sounds like things are going well, actually, for ADUs, except for the what you call the, the neighborhood, um, the neighbors that aren't so excited about this. Um, <laughs> can you can you re, in other words, if you were to compare yeah. the ADU challenges uh-huh. to the challenges of people with tiny houses on wheels, um, seems like you have quite a few hurdles already cleared. Is that is that accurate statement? Um, it. Uh I would say that things are definitely moving in in uh, in the right direction. Um, it's it's awesome that uh, Senate Bill 1051 um, that was passed right around the same time as House Bill 2737 um, will um, require towns of uh, I think it was five thousand or more to provide um, ADUs. Uh, which, which is which is fabulous. It really shows that our state legislature is, is standing up for for ADUs. The, the the problem and where things can get gummed gummed up with ADUs um, and slowed down, uh, just like is happening with tiny homes on wheels, is is in the details. Um, so if you uh, so Cole Peterson, which I think you you folks have talked to, of course, yeah. um, they're they're in Portland. Um, he points out that, that the owner occupancy requirement is a, is a huge hurdle for anyone considering to to build an ADU, and it comes it comes a hurdle when they want to sell their their property um, because uh, if um, if a potential buyer. Um, wants to to be able to to rent out that ADU. Um, there, uh, or let's say a potential buyer wants to buy a property that they can uh, rent out a portion of. Um, with with that owner occupancy requirement, it makes it um, um, more difficult for them to to use. Uh, that property because they might want to, um, uh, yeah, you know, I'm getting this backwards. I, uh, <laughs> there's a part with that that I'm, I'm not doing a good job of explaining. Um, uh, the larger point is when you, you can, um, anyone against, uh, ADUs, uh, if they can get the, the uh, city council and planning staff. Um, our planning commission here in Eugene to agree to it, that you can just keep adding on requirements that, that uh, make it more difficult to use ADU or to build what you want. So requiring on-site parking, um, that could be like a $5,000 um, concrete parking space if they require concrete. Um, in the least, you, you have to dig up a portion of your of your property that maybe you would have preferred to use as a garden um, or a place to relax. Um, here in Eugene, you're required to add um, a, a covered um, a porch area uh, with um, with a with a walkway to to accompany that to to the street. Um, there are uh, yeah the ten percent um, size. Uh, limitations so the the unit can only be ten percent of um, of the property size, which normally um, works it isn't that big of a deal. But these things just keep 
adding up. And so you can, I, um, somebody who's against tiny houses on wheels or, or a group of citizens um, that's against tiny houses on wheels could could use the same strategy to just make it incredibly difficult to allow um, tiny houses on wheels to be set up on a property. So, um, you know, on the surface, a, a town could could say, yes, you're allowed to build tiny houses on wheels, but here are these 200 requirements you have to meet, um, and so for, which increases expense or makes it physically impossible, um, like having a minimum lot size. Uh, so th- th- that's um, why I firmly believe um, we need to find a way to get um, advocates um, organized and, and consistently uh, working with um, their city council and fellow neighbors um, to, to find solutions that will work. Uh, so the, the few people that are, that are against this don't, put, don't hide barriers deep in the code um, to stop things or stop these housing types from, from being used. And so I'm a part of um, uh, a, another group here in Eugene called Walkable Eugene Citizen Advisory Network. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to uh, tell you a bit uh, about what we're doing, but I want to give you a chance um, to, to chime in if, if I've touched on anything you'd like to hear more about. Actually, I'd like to comment a little bit about the um, the Portland, the, the specifics of regarding the Portland ADU. I talked earlier globally about the fact that tiny houses on wheels have bigger challenges than ADUs in typical. In Portland, it's actually just the opposite. Um, just a real, real brief background for our listeners. Several years ago, the city of Portland decided to waive what's called developmental fees for ADUs. What that means is the five to ten thousand dollars you have to pay to, you know, upgrade the sidewalks and put in new uh, fire plugs or whatever. Um, the city of Portland wanted to invest in. Um, density, so they decided to waive developmental fees. Their applications for ADUs then increased by 400%, and several hundred of them were actually built in Portland. Then a few years later, Portland came back through and said, okay, now we're going to reassess your taxes on your property now that you have all these lovely ADUs. And for those people that had actually rented out their ADUs as short-term or long-term rentals, they discovered that their increase in taxes would actually no longer offset the income they were collecting mm-hmm. from their ADUs. So then the owner said, well, wait a minute. Why don't we rent out both the main house and the ADU? Because that would be the only way to be able to cover, again, now what's a mortgage and a significant increase in taxes. And then the city of Portland said, well, wait a minute, because in order to be able to do that, you have to be owner-occupied. So again, I want to give a a little bit of the background of this sort of, again, two steps forward, one step back with regard to ADUs in Portland. Ironically, in Portland, just very recently, they have, however, I, I think... My personal opinion, I think it's because they wanted to improve their reputation politically um, because they got so much flack for having sort of um, uh, carrot on the end. What's that called? Um, uh, Anyways, I think they they got so much flack for having what they did with the ADU code. They are now allowing tiny houses on wheels um, in uh, in driveways and backyards um, Uh with very little codes associated. So... 
Um, it's interesting to me how, how much it changes from one town to another, even within the same state. Well, and it's interesting, too, that the that it sounds like what you're describing down there, David, is a, um, a group of people <clears throat> who have their personal interest and they know how to... Um, use the system to make themselves make themselves be heard and so mm-hmm. and so uh, it it's it's maybe it's the system working in a sense and the people who um advocate for these smaller um dwellings haven't quite got their act together i mean that seems to be in some ways that that has only recently changed in the broader tiny house movement where the movement has gotten its, is is more it has gotten more of their act together than in the past, such that they can go head to head with some of these people who have a vested interest in any tiny house policies or ADU policies, but their vested interest is somewhat conflicting with the interests of the tiny house DIY community. And so those people use tactics like what you described a minute ago, David, where they load up these proposed bills with additional items like what Michelle said, like Michelle, like what Michelle offered several episodes ago, where they were talking about putting requiring sprinkler systems in tiny houses. They do now. Yeah, yeah. House Bill twenty seven thirty seven. Yeah. So the the term I was trying to think of, by the way, was bait and switch. A uh, bait and switch. Okay. We're going to try to make you think that these ADUs in this situation is great for everybody, but the truth is, we're going to circle back and crucify you yes. on taxes. Yeah. Um. There was never. There wasn't that much uh, transparency in that in in the beginning. Well, and one of the issues of of always dealing with the jurisdiction that Mark has um, mentioned since the beginning of our interest in tiny houses and communities is the the jurisdiction has to get their taxes in some way. And one of the challenges that the tiny house movement is is finding is going up against that. Like no one wants, the, our, our guest before last was saying, no one wants to say it in public, but the reality is it all boils down to how is the city going to get its tax, re- tax right. res- revenue. Right. Do you agree with that, David? Um. Could, could you re- rephrase the the question? So it's, 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 so we were saying that the that the tiny house community is one of the main one of the underlying reasons why it's struggling to to pass legislation that's favorable to their interest is because the government hasn't figured out how to collect taxes from tiny house dwellers. Ah, uh, yeah, I, I um, yeah, I. Well, well, I think we we definitely need that. Um, we need, we need uh, the government to come to to uh, to a conclusion on on how to tax um, the the tiny houses on on wheels, and that's that's something. Um, yeah, we, we found uh, with with uh, the group here, tiny houses, tiny house villages, or as we call ourselves, THTV. Is um, is uh, our, our members want to contribute to the city's tax base? Uh, we understand that by living in the city, um, we're going to make use of the sewer and water systems and the roads, and that use uh, has uh, creates um, I don't know uh, damages those systems over time, and so you have to collect money so you can put. Put uh, back into um, maintaining those systems, uh, and so yeah. But but there is a lack of a, of a method for calculating what the appropriate amount of tax 
should be. Um, I would say that's not an issue uh, with um, ADUs in, in Lane County. Uh, it, uh, the, there's a technique for um, for calculating what the the tax uh, will be. Um, it's it's uh, tends to be um, the value of the of the ADU. So if it takes a hundred thousand dollars to to build the ADU, it's generally assessed at seventy five percent of of um, of the value, and then um, you you pay uh, uh, because of uh, I think it was Measure fifty five um, that was passed in the nineties. Um, generally, most Property owners are going to pay three percent um, uh, of of uh, the value of that, uh, the assessed value of of the ADU, um, which, uh, from what I've seen, it, um, it does not or, or doesn't offset the income that you can offer from the ADU. So I don't see taxes on ADUs. As being an impediment, though the, the system development charges definitely can be. Uh, here in Eugene, they can be up to ten thousand dollars. Yeah, um, and so uh, like Springfield has followed in Portland's footsteps to waive the system development charges, um, which in the long run may not be um, sustainable for the city because those fees really do go towards needed uh, services. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, in the in the short term, while we we just desperately need to create housing, I think it's a really smart policy. Well, it's interesting because the, a couple of guests ago, we had a guy who was talking about how a study they did revealed that something like six tiny houses on a on a piece of property zoned for residential for a single family house use the same amount of water as that single-family house, right? Correct, yeah. And, and so he was arguing, and, and he was saying that the tap, he called them the tap, but I, I think it's called something else, where the, where the, where the residence connects to the city system, um, uh-huh. the, the, the volume of services being provided by that tap for six tiny houses was the same as having it serving one tiny house. And so it seems to me... One house. Well, sorry, one yeah. house. And so it seems to me that levying... The, the, the formula that you laid out for a tiny house, it doesn't seem to address that cons- the cons- conservation that naturally exists from living in a tiny house. That's one of the issues that actually um, the town that I live in, um, we've gotten a lot of nodding from the city council and the planning as well. But in our neck of the woods, it really has to do with lot size and it has to do with number of single family residencies per lot. And so, um, sure, you can now effectively, because of House Bill 2737, you can now effectively put a 600 square foot house on a lot in downtown Sherwood, which would be great. And it'd be like $350,000, you know, because <laughs> yeah. the lot is two hundred fifty dollars or yeah. $275,000 for a teeny tiny 2,000, 3,000 square foot lot. Yeah. 
So, um, again, I use this term so many, it feels like two steps forward, one step back. It's like, okay, yay, we can now build tiny houses, but in the zoning, again, we're circling back. The zoning is, well, one single family resident per right. lot. Right. Mm-hmm. Sure, build 600 square feet, squeeze, you know, squeeze all your butts in that little teeny <laughs> tiny house. You're yeah. still going to pay. You're still going to pay them the rate. Exactly, 300,000 <laughs> yeah. plus. So, yeah. as long as you're paying that much for a lot, we don't care. Then exactly. So, we might as well build a bigger house. I don't it's again, it's what's interesting to me is is how how um dissimilar the issues are within the same, even within the same state. But we still have the same inertia that we talked about at the beginning of this show, where it seems like the the push against the, and, and I can understand how people look at government and roll their eyes and talk about how inefficient it is, because it seems like the effort that's being put forth by the tiny house movement to create code and zoning that works for them is just barely making a difference. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm really pissed at the state of Oregon today in particular because they're what they're now doing is they're starting to make changes administratively, mm-hmm. not legislatively. Right. Like, okay, you, you got your win you got over your here, input, yeah. right? We, we had to listen to you and we had to do something legislatively over here, but how we're going to sort of repay you and not tell you, we're going to make all these changes to the definitions of what these are administratively over here. Yeah. So it's been a frustrating week. So what? Yeah, it, what is? It, it, I was yeah. Go go ahead, David. Um, yeah, the 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 that ability um, to do these administrative changes, um, whether it's coming from a particular uh, director of a building code division, um, <laughs> or um, uh, a few citizens that know how to. Uh, Yank around your your city council yeah. um, is definitely a huge source of frustration, <laughs> and um, it uh, yeah it you know I'm not a political scientist so so I can't I couldn't get into the details of how this stuff works or if it's valuable or, or not valuable, um, but yeah that that's our system that we have is um, it definitely forces us in this two step forward one step um, backwards mode um, and uh, the the, w- the way we responded to that here in Eugene um, is by forming a, a group of I would say we're um, city planning geeks uh, that um, there's uh, about um, 10 of us who, who are active we're part of the, the leadership um, I mentioned um, the uh, Walkable Eugene Citizen Advisory Network. Yeah. Uh, our acronym is We Can, mm-hmm. and so um, we, we've got a website. We, we meet monthly. We send uh, ten or fifteen emails every day. Um, we're uh, and and essentially what we're doing is tracking city council. We're meeting with city council um, and uh, Lane County's housing policy board, um, planning commission, anybody who will listen to us about the need for more housing and, and how we can meet that with walkable uh, neighborhoods um, uh, that uh, provide great living spaces but, but also uh, increase the amount of housing that's available in the community. Um, and, and so 
I, it, it seems like uh, this is an effective strategy. Um, it isn't. Uh, it isn't by any means a quick fix. Um, it, it is a great way uh, to uh, connect with uh, community-minded people who um, really care and are, are, are pretty smart folks, um, and to learn about how governance works uh, in your town. Um, so I, th- I think we can uh, is a really good example for uh, for anybody who's looking to form a group um, like this. Um, in in their community, and I can get our. I want to pull up our our web page just so I could share that. So uh, you can take a look at this at wecaneugene.org. Okay, yeah, it's it is. It, I'm sure there are communities of people, or at least individuals looking to form communities, who listen to our show and are trying to figure out how to negotiate these issues. Um, activist type people. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more people who are who have thrown up their hands and have said, "Fuck it, I give up." <laughs> um, but um, it would be it, yeah. So so if if people can tap into weekend.org um, and and find out some information that could help them move forward, that would be fantastic. So David, we really yeah. oh sorry, go ahead. Oh uh, um, yeah, I want to just uh, I know we're coming close to the end here. Yeah. Um, yeah so. Uh, I want to give one more plug for, for folks to check out um, wecaneugene.org. Uh, take a look at our uh, section called uh, Cottage Code Amendments. So we've been able to um, get uh, about uh, 10 organizations to, to petition the city of Eugene uh, with us to uh, improve the code for ADUs in cottage cluster developments, and so those are pocket neighborhoods. Uh, the stuff Ross Chapman talks about. Yep. Um, and so we have uh, groups like AARP of Oregon, um, the uh, Lane County um, Home Builders Association, and uh, we've got um, a few, few other gro- groups that are big names here in Eugene, uh, but probably not outside of Eugene, um, like our local Community Development Finance Institute, NETCO. Uh, and so, um, with, with this letter, this petition, and then those backers, we also have a citizen, um, petition at 170, uh, signatures so far. Um, that, that, that's an example of an action this group can, um, a group like this can, can pull off to make a really strong and clear message to city council that this is what the community needs. There are more housing options, and these smaller housing types and village uh, setups um, are uh, an, an awesome step in the right direction towards increasing the amount of housing uh, in the community. Well, great, great, David. Thanks for that for that additional information. So uh, we're going to wrap up here. Um, thank you so much for being on the show with us. And Tiny House listeners, thank you so much for listening to another show. Um, oh, we got a little technical again into the weeds there, yeah. but that's okay. Um, yes, podcast. It's technical week. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in with us next week. We'll have another good show, and maybe it'll be even more lively than this one. Uh, and definitely next um, week, Shark Week. So we're good. It's shark Week. Yeah. Tiny House Shark Week. Shark. Shark. Everything's, oh, everything's, right. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Namaste. See ya. 
Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Main. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. <laughs>